Hi, I'm Lynn. And I'm Jan. Welcome to the second season of Lamplighters Podcast. Lamplighters is a community that encourages women to grow in our faith through the study of God's Word. So no matter who you are or where you are, no matter the time or experience you've had following Jesus, or if you haven't had any at all, we are grateful to be on the journey with you and look forward to becoming more of who God created us to be. Okay, so last week, our focus was on waiting, something that we agreed isn't necessarily our greatest strength, mm-hmm. right? But it can be a great gift. So what will we be talking about today? Okay, today we are going to start focusing on what comes at the end of waiting, and that is the reward. So much more fun. Yes. Remember where we left off last week. Jesus had instructed his apostles, his disciples, not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the gift God promised. This gift, Jesus said, was that in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Now, they really had no idea what Jesus was talking about. Someone was coming to replace Jesus in their everyday lives and be there with them always to remind them of all Jesus had taught them. It was just such a radically different concept that they couldn't wrap their minds around it, I'm Mm -hmm. sure, because it had never happened before. It was something that had to be experienced in order to be understood. But despite that, they obeyed. This group of about 120 frightened and confused people who had watched Jesus be crucified, resurrected, and then ascend back to heaven waited for this promised gift. I cannot even imagine the kind of faith it took to wait when everything that they had believed up until that point had been shattered and really reformed. The man who they had devoted themselves to, the promised Messiah, had died, but then he had come back to them. But then after he came back to them, he said, oh, I can't stay. (laughs) I mean, I think it must have felt like emotional whiplash. You know, first they lost Jesus through the crucifixion, which had to have resulted in intense grief and likely fear. Then he returned through the resurrection, which... I mean, that must have been euphoric. And then they're facing another kind of loss and probably more confusion and disbelief when he says, I can't stay, but still they waited. Probably in a confused state. Yes. So Jan, I've been I've been struggling to think about anything in my life that has required that kind of blind obedience and faith. So do you have something that you can share? Well, yes. Um, It didn't require simply waiting for a few days. It required waiting for almost 11 years. Oh, that's a wait. Yeah. And then it required radical obedience. Now, I've told you this story before. A lot of my friends have heard it. But the desire of my heart, uh, ever since I had been divorced, was to be married, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And after almost 11 years, I decided clearly God had said no. Mm. So I was making plans to move away from Austin. And this was the funny part. I'm speaking of the Holy Spirit working in weird ways. Mm -hmm. Uh, I had three realtors, one in the church, one that just was a friend, and one that was the highest producer in my zip code. Okay. They all three told me they loved my home. They all three said it would sell quickly. And they all three said, I won't list it. Oh. I know. 
but they said, it's not a good financial decision for you. I'm like, wait a minute, it's your job to list my house, right? <laughs> yes. Who are you to make financial decisions for me? That was very confusing to me. So I figured maybe God didn't want me to move right then, right? Mm-hmm. And I was very confused. But about six months later, God sent a man to me. Oh, I should have been thrilled, right? Mm-hmm. This is what my heart had wanted for almost 11 years. Uh-huh. I didn't. I wasn't. I argued and I argued that he wasn't the right one. Mm-hmm. God, what are you thinking? He's not the right man. This is not the right time. It's not the right circumstances. It's not my idea. <laughs> it's not yeah. my choice. Think of the kids, Lord. I, this went on for a while, right? And then his spirit, I think, had listened to me as long as he wanted to listen mm-hmm. to me. And he spoke to my spirit and said, are you going to make a lie of everything you've said you've believed for the last 10 years? Mm. Now, what had I believed? I believe Jesus saves and redeems because he did me. Mm -hmm. I believe the spirit brings new life because he created new life in me. Mm -hmm. I believe that grace should be received and extended and that we are new creations in Christ because he had created a new person in me. And I realized, oh, no, I was going to have to live those words out for someone else. Oh. And my, my thought was, oh, my gosh, I've got to have to, I'm going to have to marry that man. Uh. <laughs> now, that was an act of blind obedience and faith. But the Lord, as always, proved faithful. And the giver gave me a gift that I could not have begun to imagine. Mm. Mm. Okay. So now that we've run down that rabbit trail, let's get back to the disciples. Yeah, so the important thing here is that their obedience was rewarded because the next thing that happens is that the promised gift arrives. Mm. So let's look at that for a minute because even though I was familiar with this story, I noticed a few things that I had never noticed before. That's how God's Word is. Yes, so (laughs) let's look at the timeline here. This is the first Pentecost following Jesus' resurrection. It's 50 days after the resurrection and 10 days after His ascension. So up until that time, Pentecost was one of three annual Jewish festivals, which was known in the Old Testament as the Feast of Weeks. It was a one-day festival that celebrated the wheat harvest. And we know this by looking at the Jewish, Jewish feast days as laid out in Scripture and in Leviticus chapter 23. All the Jewish feast days had significance and were symbolic of Israel's past. Okay, that seems kind of foreign to us, but I guess we're going to come back to why that's important. Right, right. Yeah, okay. So by Pentecost, the apostles had prepared themselves for a great blessing and were waiting in Jerusalem, just as Jesus had told them. So let's look at the actual arrival of the Holy Spirit. First, there was the sound like a mighty wind. Now, notice it's not an actual wind, but just the sound. I think when I've heard this story in the past, I've pictured I've pictured this wind just whipping through mm-hmm. um, the house. Yeah. But it says that it's it's sound like a mighty wind. So that got their attention with their sense of hearing. And then next, what happens is these tongues of that appear to be tongues of fire separate and come to rest on each of their heads. Now, Luke is careful to let us know that it was not fire, but that it looked like fire. They could see it, but it wasn't burning them. 
So this got their attention through their sense of sight. It's kind of like Moses in the burning bush. Yeah, exactly. It, it didn't burn up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, lastly, we hear that they began speaking in tongues. Now, that got their attention <laughs> through their intellect and curiosity. How could it make sense that one minute they were talking to each other in the same language, and then the next minute they were all speaking different languages? The whole experience was obviously supernatural and had to have created a real sense of wonder. It seems to me like the Holy Spirit chose to come in a way that they could recognize, but that was still like nothing they had ever experienced before. And Mm -hmm. I think that's a good description of the Holy Spirit. Um, They could recognize that He was their connection to Jesus, but also that He was different. He wasn't Jesus. I think that this was really a gracious gesture after all they have experienced um, these past days, that it was comforting and reassuring. You know, it's like whenever we try to explain something to someone that they know nothing about, it's easiest to do it by comparing it to something that they already know. Mm -hmm. You know, it looks like this or it tastes like that or it feels like, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. I, I am always in awe of how the Spirit communicates with us in the ways that we understand. I get the whole wind thing mm-hmm. um, because I grew up in West Texas, right? And mm-hmm. I have a friend who describes power as the ability to blow their hair back. Yeah. <laughs> and we are so sensory oriented. Yes. So the Spirit first engaged all their senses and then their minds, and then finally the power to speak in other languages. That's an impossibility. Right. I mean, really, it must have reminded them of all the times that Jesus is actions revealed his supernatural power because he did impossible things. Yeah, it's it's so true. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we're at this point where everyone is speaking in other languages, um, meaning not their native language. Mm-hmm. Um, now we go back to the significance of this being the first Pentecost after the resurrection. Because of this Jewish festival that was an annual festival, there were Jews from every nation present in Jerusalem, which meant All kinds of different languages were being spoken. Mm. The Holy Spirit enabled the apostles to speak to everyone there, despite what could have been a huge language barrier. It truly was a miracle. That's not the reverse of the Tower of Babel, you know, where all of a sudden everybody was speaking a different language and they couldn't communicate, but now they all speak different languages, but they could communicate. Me neither. That was a Holy Spirit moment. Yeah, there you go. Okay, so those who received the Holy Spirit that day were already the apostles of Jesus who had been saved by his death and resurrection. So what is the purpose of this miracle? Hmm. Pentecost is actually one of the most important days in the history of Christianity because it is quite literally the birthday of the Christian church. This was the actual beginning of what we now call the church. When the Holy Spirit came to rest on the disciples, He turned the lights on in their hearts and in their minds, and they were able to see and understand the gospel in ways they had never understood it before. Mm. The Holy Spirit gave them what they needed to go out and fulfill the call that Jesus had left them with to bring others to Him. Because they were now filled with the Holy Spirit, they had a new confidence, a new courage, a new outlook, and a new life. Nothing would ever be the same for them again. 
they were ready to go out and speak the gospel in literally every language to all the people who were already gathered for the festival. Now, talk about God's perfect timing. Absolutely. It's, it's kind of the ultimate aha moment. of All of those things we didn't understand about Jesus, now we understand. Uh-huh. It's like all the lights came on. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I can only imagine the shock and the surprise of everyone, maybe yeah. especially for the disciples, because it certainly was not something that they knew the specifics of what they were expecting. Um, And I know people who came for the festival were shocked, too. All of a sudden, here are all these Galilean fishermen speaking their own language. Mm -hmm. Yes, um, the people were skeptical. In fact, the first thing that happened is that the apostles are accused of being drunk. It just seems like a reasonable explanation. (laughs) Well, (laughs) uh, the next part is a little surprising, because who is it that stands up to the crowd? Well, it's probably the last person on earth we might expect. It's the apostle Peter. Uh That's the same man who on the night Jesus was arrested was so afraid that he wouldn't even admit to a servant girl in the high priest's courtyard that he knew who Jesus was. Mm -hmm. And he ran away, abandoned him. Exactly. But because of the power of the Holy Spirit, this once frightened man stands up and speaks boldly and passionately and loudly (laughs) to some of the very people who had put Jesus to death. Now, Mm. that's quite a risk to take. Because remember, this is the crowd who chose to free Barabbas instead of Jesus, which meant that Jesus was the one who was crucified. Mm. Now, what Peter says in this chapter of Acts has been called the very first Christian sermon in the history of the church. Peter passionately recounts prophecy and history and calls everyone who listens on their accountability. Okay, so remind me of what Peter said in this first of all Christian sermons. Okay, as the spokesman for the apostles, Peter begins the message by explaining the miracle that people have seen. He says, contrary to the conclusion that the crowd has come to, that they are not drunk. It's too early in the morning to get drunk, which I find an interesting thing. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, yeah. In that culture. Yeah, exactly. So then he shows them using scripture that God has planned this for centuries and has revealed it through his prophets for those who could understand and listen to their message. Mm -hmm. Then he introduces Jesus as Savior of mankind and goes on to offer proof that Jesus is both Lord and Christ, and his proof is based on the resurrection of Jesus. He then points them to King David, you know, Israel's greatest ruler, who prophesied this event centuries earlier. He reminds them that there are eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Jesus, most most notably the apostles. He testifies that the descent of the Holy Spirit and the miracles they had witnessed prove that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. And he concludes his message with this summary. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Wow. Yeah, in one sweeping statement, he declares his listeners to be in complete opposition to God. He lets them know Jesus has been given power by God, and they stand helpless before him in their guilt. When they hear this, it says they are cut to the heart because they can see the truth in his words. Mm. Their situation is desperate because they have crucified the very one for whom they had waited centuries. And the interesting thing is their question is, what shall we do? 
And I find that interesting because it shows that they are understanding their deep need. Mm-hmm. Well, and isn't that true that we all need to understand our position before the Lord and our desperate need for Him before we actually turn toward Him? Mm-hmm. And, and we've lost that in our culture. Yeah. You know, we've lost the sense of how deeply we need the Lord Jesus yeah. Christ. Yeah. Yeah. So in verse 38, Peter announces the terms of this pardon. It's what the people must do. And surprisingly, they were not told to believe. And why were they not told to believe? Well, the question that they've asked makes it clear that they already believe. Mm. What they were required to do was to change their attitude, meaning repent and demonstrate their belief in the death and resurrection of Jesus by being baptized. In return for this obedience, God will grant them the forgiveness of their sins and the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. And it's by the power of the Holy Spirit that Peter was on fire when he delivered this message. And we are told that 3,000 people joined that brand new church that very day and that the numbers just kept growing and growing and growing. That's awesome. It's amazing. It was miraculous, right? It's the power of the Holy Spirit. So the most important thing to note here is that Peter used Scripture, which is God's own words, to defend God. And there's no better place to start ever for any of us. It is best to let God reveal Himself through His Word. Because, you know, we don't know, right? (laughs) It wasn't Peter's own knowledge and wisdom that he shared but it was God's own words revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. And this is a lesson that comforts me greatly. Mm. You know, the whole purpose of the church, that's us, by the way, is to spread the message message of Jesus and invite men to find their salvation in him. The gift is that we don't do it on our own, in our own power. The Holy Spirit is in us waiting for us to call on him to intercede for us. We are told that we are a work of God, always under construction, even today. So we're always going to need the Holy Spirit. Mm. We are called in the same way that those first disciples were called, to preach the truth about Jesus with boldness and in the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, they didn't understand everything that was happening in and through them. How could they? We can't either. But what they did and what we can do is obey the call and rely on the Holy Spirit. You know what I love about that, Lynn, is is the fact that God's Word is powerful. Yeah. And Peter was so uh, firmly grounded in it. Mm-hmm. He knew Scripture, yeah. and, and the Holy Spirit was bringing that to mind for him, it, which is why we study God's Word in Lampladders, yeah. is so that we'll know, mm-hmm. and God can reveal Himself to us through the Holy Spirit, through His Word. I love mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Um Peter's words are a beautiful and concise, actually, summary of the good news. Basically, we need saving, and God has sent a Savior, right? All we have to do is turn toward Him and accept that invitation to come and see. Mm -hmm. Um, And I really appreciate you pointing out that it's not by might, not by power, uh, but by the Spirit that God's work gets done. It's very comforting and encouraging and also conviction, convicting, but it's, it's also— one reason we pray scripture over each one of these podcasts 
that the Lord's word will go out and not return to him empty, but it will accomplish the purpose for which he sends it. And that's hugely comforting to me Mm -hmm. since the Holy Spirit knows what he's doing and we do not. That's right. You know, we are meant to grow in and through the Holy Spirit. And that's everybody, whether we've been a Christian for minutes, days, decades, it doesn't matter. The Mm. Holy Spirit is constantly working to enlighten us in new ways and to broaden our understanding of who God is and who we are in Him. Our knowledge of Him should always be changing. It's growing. It's moving. It's fluid. That's the Holy Spirit in us, enlightening us constantly. Yes. It always has to be in alignment with what He's revealed in His Word. Right. You know, otherwise you just go off on some sort of weird tangent. Right. Because what we know is it's not that God changes. It's that our understanding of God and His ways grow the more and longer we live in Him. And that's because of the gift of the Holy Spirit. And it's an ongoing gift. It's not just a one-time event. And part of the Spirit's work is in the transformation of us and us being the church. Yes. We actually never really arrive in this lifetime, do we? <laughs> no, we don't. But it's it's encouraging to know that we can and we must keep growing and being transformed and moving toward the people and the church that God created us to be. That's very encouraging. And I think it's a real litmus test because if we're not growing, then we need to look at whether we're listening to the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Okay, one last thing I want to point out in this story is that we get a very intriguing picture of a group of people from different locations and different backgrounds who are continually being formed and transformed in their understanding of God. And isn't that a great picture of the church today, or at the very least, what it should be? Mm -hmm. We are all individuals, but also all children of God and in His family. There is a radical social equality for those who receive God's Spirit. We are all God's children, and He loves each of us the most. I have a cousin who signs off with each of her children and grandchildren with, I love you the most. And it's very cute because they all know she says it to each one of them. And in a way that our humanity can't truly understand, that is how God feels about each of us. I know, that's so hard. Yeah. Everyone is on the same footing, the old, the young, men, women, slaves, free people, the rich, the poor. We are all eligible to receive the power of God through the Holy Spirit. And in this divisive world we live in, where more often than not, we seem to focus on what divides us as children of God, we are truly all united in one spirit. Mm. And all these different characters come together to form one church, whereas we are told in Acts 2, 44 through 46, they were all together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God." Because it's in Him that we are drawn together in the way we were designed to be by Him. That's how He wants us to live together. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that stands out most is that even though the church was born on Pentecost, just like us, (laughs) the church is not finished, and we have responsibility in that. Oh, amen to that. Amen to that. Um, Okay, what are we going to leave 
our friends with this week, I want to leave them with a challenge. And this is really for me as much as it is for anybody who's listening. Okay. And that is the thing about what keeps you from sharing the good news about Jesus. If, if, if Jesus has come into our lives and we belong to him and he has given us the power of the Holy Spirit, how can we keep our mouths shut? Mm. I mean, that's such a wonderful thing. So as a little kind of step in that direction, I want to challenge people to think about what keeps them from doing that, uh-huh. fear usually mostly, uh-huh. and to just take a tiny step by telling someone this week what the Spirit is doing in your life right now. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's a great exercise. So last week, um, you asked us to think about what we were waiting for. And this week, I want to ask that same question, but I want to ask it in a different way. Mm. The Holy Spirit has called each of us in some unique way to obey. And the question is, what are you waiting for? (laughs) Radical obedience. Mm -hmm. Until next time. 